Boys, welcome to a patron-only episode of Podcast Pell Droid. This episode is only available to subscribers at our upper Patreon tiers. For more details, go to patreon.com forward slash podcast underscore Peldroid. Check out our link tree, Podcast Peldroid, for all of the other links that you need, including the link to become a patron. So please share that amongst fellow members of the Red Wall. I'm Dan Scrivio. Thank you very much for subscribing. Chris, welcome. It's Russell. Leon, you're joining us. How are you? So you okay? Yeah, not too bad, Russ. Yeah, you all right? Yeah, I'm really, really well. I'm really looking forward to this conversation we've got coming up as part of a, a Patreon series, the aim of which is to cast a light maybe on some of the careers that perhaps have flown under the radar a little bit, the Wales careers, that is among fans. We're going to be zipping back and forth across different eras, different decades, and we have the very great pleasure this evening of the company of former Wrexham striker, former Everton striker, but former Wales striker as well, Dave Smallman. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thank you very much, Russell. We were talking uh, off, off mic, as it were, a moment ago. Uh, it turns out um, my parents-in-law live around the corner from your first house uh, when you signed for, for Wrexham in the town. Uh, and you're still, you're still living, uh, well, not quite in the town, up in the, up in the hills, isn't it, in Monera? Yeah, that's right. The first house that I had when I was married was... a. Uh, the Wrexham Clubhouse in Denby Close, Boris Park, and I paid £3 a week rent to, Re- to Wrexham Football Club. <laughs> they had £3 yeah. back immediately. In those days, they didn't sign a professional till you were 19. I went there as a kid when I was 16. I left school and went there on the ground staff. So I was married at 20, and my first wage was, professional wage was £20 a week. And out of that, I paid £3 a week rent. And I still managed to go to Peppers every Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> really grateful for, for having you here. I know that Leon's obviously got a lot of questions that are kind of Wrexham related as well, but we're going to be looking more from about the, the international perspective of the career. But these things are intertwined, of course. So I think it's fair to say you, you turn pro quite young. You get into that Wrexham first team at a you know, relatively tender age. Everton come sniffing around at a young age, but you decided to carry on playing first team football rather than perhaps get stuck in the reserves for a year or two what happened really really quite quite quickly is that is that how you remember it your, your pro career yeah i i um i played for a, a youth team as most kids do obviously and and the manager at the time at Wrexham was john neil and he'd come to to watch another promising young player who he did good reports about so he came to watch us playing and he for some reason fancied me as a decent player and uh he came round to my dad's house and asked if uh, I could be an apprentice or go on the ground staff at Wrexham, which I did. So I went there when I was 16. I started playing in the A team. Then we played in the Northern Flooded League team on, in midweek. And then we played at Chester in, away in a, on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. We won 4-1 and I scored the four, which got me into the first team. So I think then I signed professional when I was 19. Everton came in for me and I... Uh, to cut a long story short, they said I'd probably be in the reserves for two years, which I like. I think my first 13 games, I'd scored quite a few goals, and I, I couldn't understand why I would go in the reserves for two years when I was playing. I know it was third division football, but I was playing for the first team, so I turned them I turned them down that time, and then they came back two years later, and they never mentioned reserve team football, so I was quite happy to go there that time. <laughs> <laughs> what was the... Uh youth team that you were playing for that John Neal came and watched? Shotton Westminster. Shotton, okay, you're right. Because you're, you're a D-side yeah. originally, aren't you? 
Yeah, I mean we are, I mean we were beating team. I think the highest score we, we had was thirty two nil. So we were we were winning everything. In that league anyway. And I think we actually played Wrexham U team. They did beat us later on before I actually went to Wrexham. They think beat us six four or something. But he wasn't at that game. But the first day, my first day at Wrexham, I had to get the I got the, I didn't drive at that time, so I got the train from Shotton to Wrexham and the train station is obviously right outside Wrexham football ground. So I walked up the Mole Road and turned around and got the train back home. I was so petrified. Yeah, and John really? Neal phoned my house and said to my dad, we're, we're, and he used to call me DS. He always called me DS for Dave Smallman, always. And he used to say to me, because I used to smoke in those days and he smoked and he, and he used to say, do you want a cigarette DS? And I was like, yeah. Like, that, this was a half time in the games. Right. So I, I can't imagine that happening now, obviously. <laughs> so he, he phoned my dad and um, my dad said, well, he's gone on the train anyway. He turned up, John Neal. He drove to my house and took me back. Oh, wow. Brilliant. So, like, did... and I, I was so I was scared. You know, I, I just I couldn't I couldn't cope with this, I suppose. And and then he so for him to come to my house and and drive me back was was an incredible. He was like he was like a second father to me. He was, and he could speak to most Wrexham players of that of that era. And he's without doubt the best manager Wrexham have ever had. I mean, I'd always defer to, to Leon on knowledge of, of, of the history of, of, of Wrexham, but even I know that, uh, that he's revered yeah. coming in and around the, the, yeah. the club, yeah. for sure. Yeah, we just look at the players he brought through. But yeah, yeah. Did, did you win any kind of like youth caps at international level? I'm going to struggle here with my memory, but I think I won, it, I, I won one youth cup, and actually we won the Welsh youth cup. We beat Cardiff 4-3. Yeah, and I got one, I think it was a one youth cap and, a, and two or three under-23 caps. Okay. And uh, one was against, we beat Scotland 2-0 and wow. they had the likes of uh, Dalgleish playing. Wow. And a lad called, do you remember? No, you might not remember. No, a lad called Derek Parlane played for Rangers. Yeah, yeah. He was a centre-forward. And uh, Well, I, I remember Dalgleish playing anyway. We beat them 2-0. I scored him one. I scored one of them. And then I got, I got into the as I was saying, into the senior squad. And the first game, as I was saying, they got me to play at the race course. I scored in the first half. Terry Odd played the ball over the top. And uh, I ran onto it. And Pat Jennings come hurling out a goal. And I just, I lobbed him from the edge of the box and he clattered into me, flattened me. And the, the two funny stories about that is half time, because I was, I was on the ground for a bit. I, I had bruised ribs and that, but there was blood coming from my nose. And they weren't sure if it was the nosebleed or it was internal bleeding. Anyway, at half time, so I'd, I'd managed to get to half time and I was really struggling. So the late John Roberts was sitting next to me and he punched me in the ribs and said, come on, you're playing for Wales. And I was like, oh, not anymore, I'm not. <laughs> because I had to go to hospital. And whether it was because he punched me in the ribs or whether it was the incident with Pat Jennings, I don't know. And then... I found out later my mother had gone to watch the game without telling my dad because my dad, she was so nervous, she went on her own and got a ticket and went. And my wife apparently was praying that we didn't score another goal because we were winning 1-0 and she, did, she didn't want anybody else to score. <laughs> so we got, after the game, I, co I come back from hospital and uh, Leon had known the turf pub yeah, yeah. And, on the race course ground. So... I finally, I get changed and go in a turf pub and um, all the lads are in there having a drink. And Teddy Conroy used to play for Stoke. He was big mates with John Mahoney, who played with me for Wales and also played for Stoke. 
So when I go in into the pub, and Terry Conroy's wife must have been eight and a half months pregnant, and she was sitting in a on a on a chair, and Ted, and I walked in, and Terry Conroy told his wife to move because <laughs> couldn't she couldn't she see that I was injured, <laughs> and she did, <laughs> and I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> anyway, she did. She moved and sat down, and that one. and I I always remember there was a thing in because it was all over the the Daily Post and. And obviously the national papers as well. There was a, a quote from apparently Bill Shankly had, had told us that Pat Jennings always comes out of his gold, so he can always chip him or lob him. He never told us that. <laughs> Bill Shankly never told. Well, why would Bill Shankly tell Wales players about Pat Jennings, the Northern Ireland goalkeeper? Anyway, we won. We won. We won one nil, and um, I think that 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 must have been before the Hungary game, wasn't it, Leon? Yeah, that was... Um, yeah, that's before the uh, Hungary and Austria games. Yeah, that was uh, the end of the 73-74 season. Okay. The first three Wales Caps with, with home internationals then. And that was... Uh, it's quite it's quite mad. I was t- t- talking to Dave the other day and um, we're trying to work this out. But that goal against Northern Ireland, it was uh, 18th of May 1974. It was our first goal in the home internationals which is played like every year, played England, Scotland, Northern Ireland. Um, but we hadn't scored since April 1970. So it had been... It should have picked me sooner then. Well, it should, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ronnie Reese scored against Northern Ireland in April 1970, and it was 11 games without, without, without a goal then. Um, so it was a terrible record we had. And then, um, yeah, Dave comes in for his first start, and... Um, Scores the goal, you know, first, first, first one in twelve in the home international side. We've had a look as well, Leon and I, on the internet to see uh, if we can find it, but we can't find any footage of your of your goal against Northern Ireland. Nor me. <laughs> oh, you've looked as well, is it? Oh, I've looked. You were quite new in the squad, so maybe for you it's just like joy that you'd scored for your country. But for for Dave Bowen, the manager, and the other players, it must have been like a relief yeah. <laughs> that we'd finally scored a goal and won a game. You know. If you're going back to, when did you say, 71? 1970 was the last time we won a game and okay. scored a so goal. So that's like four years previously, which obviously yeah. I wasn't involved with anyway. So I, I really wasn't aware of it, to be honest. And I don't I don't think it had been mentioned, you know, that we haven't scored for 11 games or something. I mean, I like you say, it was my third game or whatever, and I just I just wanted to play for my country. And, and, and I'd had such a really good season. I, I felt pretty confident that I would score. Yeah. I mean, in, in the other games that I came on as a sub, we lost 2 0 to England at Ninian Park. Yeah. I came on as a sub there and, and I had had quite a good game. I could have scored, but Shilton made a good save. Again, poked through for Smallman. That's a good try by the youngster, Dave Smallman. Well, that was a warming sight for Welsh fans. Fine shot. See that one again. Early ball, ticks it. Shelton, of course, I played at Hampden Park and I had a, a good game when I came on and could have scored, but the keeper made a couple of good saves. You know one of these when they say, if someone misses a chance and they say, well, at least he's in the right place. It's absolute nonsense. If I, if I missed a chance, I remember missing a chance for Wrexham against Shrewsbury in the FA Cup and we drew it home, but we, that was the year we had the cup run and we beat him in a replay. But I missed a chance at that game and I never slept for three weeks. Just running it over and over in your mind, yeah. If I missed a chance in training, I couldn't understand it. 
I just I couldn't work out how I, you know, even, even if the keeper had saved it and I hadn't as missed the target or whatever, I couldn't understand how I hadn't scored. So when when they say now at least he's getting into positions that score, well score them. <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't understand the the sense behind that. Yeah, I guess you always played as a striker as a kid, and you always yeah. felt confident in front of goal. Yeah, I, well, I was yeah. natural. I was naturally left-footed, but for when I was a kid, I used to spend hours practicing with my right foot. And and to be honest, most people didn't know I was left-footed because I, I was pretty good with both feet, right? But I I practiced for for hours on my own outside because in those days, that's what kids did. They just played in the streets or played under the street lights, and that's that's what I did for hours. And I always, I always wanted to be uh, a professional footballer from when I was like five. But when I was twelve, I had rheumatic fever, and I was, I was hospitalised for six months. And they said I'd never play football. I had to miss a year in school. I had to stay an extra year in school. And uh, they said you'll, you'll never play football, and you'll probably have a heart problem when you get older. So uh, up to now, I, I haven't. <laughs> You know, I was always determined to, to do it, and, and thankfully I did. Just to go back to that 73-74 season, which led to you getting the, the, your first call-up for Wales, because you'd had a, a great season for Wrexham, especially with the, the run through to the, the FA Cup quarter-final. Was that a season, a real breakthrough season for you at, at Wrexham? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I played 72-73, and uh, which was my first season. I think I played, I'm not really good for statistics, except for one that I know for sure, is that every game I played for Exum, including youth and reserves, I played 165 games and scored 85 goals, which is better than one every two games. It's 1.9, and I'm, I'm happy with that as well. But when I got when I got into Exum's team, uh, it just, Aaron, I was replacing, you might remember him, Leon, or the name, Albert Kinsey. Yeah, well, Albert, Albert, yeah, Albert Kinsey was a legend at Wrexham. He was loved and that. So he was a bit, and I was never the same kind of player as him. Like he was from Manchester United originally, and he was a big burly uh, front man. You know what I mean? And I, I wasn't that type yeah. of player at all. Like I, I could never play up front on my own. I was more of a, you know, like a big partnership with Billy Ashcroft at Wrexham because we always played, we always played two people up front. So. And when I played for Wales, I played with Tosh up front, John Toshak. So uh, in, unless I was with someone, I'd struggle because I was never, I was never strong enough really to to play on my own up front. Because I used to come short for the ball. I was quite good with my feet. I could beat people in that. So when when I got into the Exeter's first team, I never, I never thought, you know, am, am I going to struggle? Because I'd done quite well in the reserves and that. And I just had belief in my own ability. Yeah, tell us a bit about that that cup run you scored against. Was it Palace? And yeah, Palace, Palace away yeah. when I don't know if you remember Malcolm Allison was the manager. Yeah, yeah. Malcolm Allison was went to Manchester City later on. So we we beat them two 0 down there. Uh, myself and Mel Sutton scored. Mel scored a, a cracker from twenty five yards. I think the first round we beat Shrewsbury in a replay away after I'd missed the chance at home, and then we beat Rochdale at home, Rotherham at home three 0 and then I think it was Palace. And then we played Middlesbrough when Jack Charlton was the manager. They were top of the second division, weren't they, at the time? And it was a complete mud bath at the race course. And right. we beat them 1-0 and I, and I scored that goal. And I've seen that on YouTube, which cheered me up. And then there was the Southampton game away. I scored the winner again and we beat them 1-0. And then we, we got beat by Burnley in the quarterfinals 1-0 away. 
we had a couple of really good chances in that game, but unfortunately we didn't take them. If we'd got them back to the race course, we'd have had a good chance of beating them. But I also I saw quite a few in the league as well. I think we I think we finished fourth in the league as well that year, and three teams went up. Yeah, yeah, going for promotion and uh, yeah, and then the FA Cup quarter final. So it was a great great season at Wrexham. Yeah. So did you score in every round up until a quarter final? No, right? I didn't score against Shrewsbury in the first round. Ah, uh, okay. Not in the replay. No. no. Okay. Okay. But other than that, you scored every round. So that would have definitely brought you a bit of um, attention. Oh, media. Yeah. Bowen, yeah. Uh, media attention. And, and Dave Bowen would have been, I guess, there would have been some like pressure on him to pick you for, for Wales. Then. I mean, I played in the under-23s as well. So I'm pretty sure he would have known who I was. And he'd probably come to see me playing in, in some games, I would have thought. You know, and it, and it just tied in with the fact that the Northern Ireland game was, was at was at the race course. So, and as you say, we hadn't scored. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if we hadn't scored, we couldn't have won any games, could we? <laughs> so, it might have drawn a few nil-nil. Yeah. But, it was, no. yeah, there was a, I think there was uh, three or four nil-nils in there. Three right. nil-nils, but yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the lineup of that Northern Ireland game, and it, gets, it's, it's, it strikes me that there's a, a sense that, that Dave Bowen, who's obviously been in charge for a long time as well, is beginning maybe to transition it. You know, you look at, you know, these, you know, I'm seeing players based on, you know, the, the, the data I got in front of me. You know, Leighton Phillips went on to have a, you know, lengthy Wales career, was winning only his 11th that cap Phillips? that day. Leighton James only his, yeah, yeah. Leighton Phillips, yeah. Leighton James' right. 13th cap. Terry Orrath only his 15th cap. John Mahoney only 13th cap. So players that went on to be right. stalwarts through the 70s, maybe one or two into the 80s. To be honest, I never, you surprised me there with the, with the amount of caps that they actually had. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even have known that. What, higher than you would expect it? No, lower. Oh, lower. All right, yeah. No, I mean, that was, that's the, the point I'm, I, was, I was trying to make, is that these are players who went on to have you know, really lengthy careers, big yeah. careers for Wales, but were still quite quite raw then at international level, you know, by the time of, of, of that game. So there's that transition. So then, I mean, Dave Bowen isn't in charge for a huge amount longer, much longer after that. And obviously Dave Bowen had been captain in 58 at the World Cup. He'd been successful with Northampton. Was he sacked or did he resign? Dave Bowen. Well, what happened was the FAW decided they were going to make the man- Wales manager's job right. a full-time job. And Dave Bowen was doing it part-time as well as doing uh, coaching or, oh, right. or maybe managing okay. at Northampton as well. That's and he right. was based in Northampton because he was, he was right. a legend there as a player. And they actually offered it to, to Dave Bowen. They said, you know, we're going to make this full-time position. Do you want to do it? And he, he kind of thought about it and he... He um, he turned it down in the end because he wanted to stay with Northampton, and I think he stayed. I think he stayed at the club doing a whole manner of roles up until right. when he died. I'm pretty sure. So that's why he turned it down, and then that's when Mike Smith came in because Mike Smith had been doing the, the youth coaching and schoolboy stuff and doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and his his work was sort of well respected by. The FAW, but yeah, if if Dave Bowen had wanted the job, he would have taken it. So no, he wasn't sacked. It Probably was aware of that at the time, but it's hard to remember that. I was just wondering what actually happened to him. Yeah, yeah, it's going back. It's going back a bit. Yeah, so it was yeah, nineteen seventy four. Yeah. Mike Smith came in, and Mike Smith um, basically installs Terry Orth as captain almost immediately. What's your memories of uh, of Terry Orth? Because he's you know he's yeah. also a Welsh legend, both as a he was a Leeds a legend as well, manager. wasn't he? Leeds United. I mean, he played yeah, with Bremen yeah. and Giles as well. Terry was a good man and a hard, hard player, wasn't he? Oh, it's it's funny. Like Vinnie Jones is a hard player. You know? Vinnie Jones was a thug. 
Finney Jones wasn't a, wasn't a hard player. He just kicked people. But Terry was hard, in my opinion, anyway. And uh, I think I think Terry is is responsible for probably the Wales recovery at the time because we did recover and we did have successful sides. Well, almost except for Yugoslavia in the playoff and that. But it was Mike and, and Terry. Like Mike came from a completely amateur background, didn't he? I think he yeah. played for the old Corinthians when he was younger. You mm. can't get more amateur than Corinthians. So he and he, he was a, <laughs> an erudite, good speaker, quiet mannered, didn't have to shout to get things across. I think people respected him and, and he made Terry captain and, and uh, led on to better things. The turnaround then was, yeah, was like really quite something. Your next cap after after scoring was the famous victory against Hungary. We right. were just talking about this before. It was the first time they'd lost a competitive game at the Nep Stadium. And uh, we went to one... Uh, uh, Toshak and John Mahoney scored the other one from a from a pass from from Brian Flynn who came on as well. Right. He, was, he was the other sub that day. When so did I come on? With about five minutes to go or something. I think it was towards the end. I don't know. I was going to ask you if you t- can remember. Right, I, haven't okay. got it, I haven't got it. I haven't got it up. Yet, I do. But, um, do you remember who you came on for? Uh, it wouldn't be Gil Reese. No, no. It was. It was. Oh, what's it, Gil Reese? Yeah, it was. It was Gil Reese. Oh, uh, good memory. 80, 82nd minute, according to what I've got. So I had a good eight minutes then. Yeah. <laughs> eight minutes more than Liam and I. But, I, I mean, Di Davis was making his debut. Brian Flynn was only his second cap, am I right in saying, Leo? Oh, what a good yeah. footballer he was, by the way. Brian Flynn, what a good footballer. Yeah, it's the thing. I'm like looking at this, this, the team at the time and looking at um, the sort of poor results. So who have you got? have you got the team there? Yeah, I've got would, it here. Would you have yeah. had um, so Rod Thomas? Rod Thomas was the most capped player that day right. in the Wales. Joey wasn't there then, was he? No. 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 John Roberts, did he play? John Roberts played, yeah. A lad called oh Dave Roberts. Leighton Phillips would have played. Leighton Phillips and John Roberts were at the back, yeah. Right. Do you remember the other fullback? Um, what's his first name? Malcolm. Oh, Malcolm Page. Yeah. Yeah. Is Page. It, was he at Watford? Uh, Malcolm Page. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Look how he's doing now. He was in the midfield then? Well, you would have had Josh, Josh, John Mahoney. Yeah. Was Arvin playing then? Arvin Griffiths played, yeah, it was his fifth cap because, of course, he came back, you know, he's, well, in his 30s, wasn't he? To 33, according to this. That uh, was his fifth, it was only his fifth yeah. cap, Arvin. I think, I think it was 32 when he got his first one. What? He had one, he had one when he was very young and then there was nothing. And, and then he, he got is, back. Yeah. yeah, it's a fascinating career. Oh, right. I'd love to be able to speak to Avon Griffiths about his Wales career. But yeah, so um, Avon, Josh Mahoney, uh, Yorath was captain. Gil Reese started. There's two other starters. Leighton James. Leighton yeah. James. And Flynn, Flynn came on for him. And then who was up front? Oh, Tosh. Well, I've said his name earlier. Tosh. Yeah. yeah, Tosh. Leighton James was a talent as well, wasn't he? Well, what a he player. Was a I mean, yeah, I mean that's the thing I was just saying before. Like you look at the lineup and you look at, you know, you got Flynn and Leighton James at Burnley, you're a good team then. Yorath is at Leeds, who are you know one of the top teams in the country. Uh, Toshak's at Liverpool, obviously. You know Leighton Phillips, is a really good player. And you think, you know, why were the res- results so so poor when there's that talent involved? And sometimes it just doesn't click until a certain point when it does and maybe like your goal against Northern Ireland was the catalyst or something but like then the results just like really pick up yeah I think Yoris had something to do with that as well being made captain yeah I think he I th- yeah I think he, he, put, he yeah. pulled the team along as well mm. that's quite something like that the captain can have that much influence on the pitch, massive influence he? he had a massive influence 
He did. He did on me anyway. I know it sounds it's strange. You say we, we're professional footballers, but if I if I'm from Wrexham and I'm playing in the third division and I'm playing with a lad who's playing for Leeds in the in the old first division, common sense tells you who's going to be a more professional person. It's going to be someone who's playing for Leeds, I think, because <laughs> I'd I'd come as a kid from playing youth football. You know what I mean? It's not. And, and by the way, the, the differences as well. Like if if you spoke to Terry Yorath then about. No need to ask him how much money he was earning, but if you spoke to him about contract negotiations, he could go through the whole situation of what you need to do. And and when I signed my first contract with Wrexham, I didn't even know that he could ask or negotiate. I just when I signed for Everton, they they told me I was on a hundred pound a week, and I didn't say, "Well, actually, I want one hundred and fifty pound a week." I didn't know you could. Mm. I didn't know you and you talk about an agent I had, an, I had a news agent in Boris Park that's the only <laughs> agent I had but I didn't I didn't honestly know I went to Everton and they said it's £100 a week and I was like oh right, great I had no idea yeah. I had no idea that you could say well actually I want £200 a week I had no idea Do you recognise then the game now compared to then I mean clearly it's still you know at the end of the day it's putting the ball in the net isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And, and trying to keep it out at, there, at, there at is, your end but... There is a massive difference in if you speak to old players, there's nothing worse than when they say, "Well, when I played, it was better." I think every, we all mm. we all say that, and then part of me thinks, "Well, actually, it was because I I could go to the pub after the game, and I did my local pub, and I just and I you know you just talk to supporters, and I mean you can't see I don't know just see Harry Kane walking into his local pub having a pint, not comparing myself to mm. Harry because they can't, can they? <laughs> you can't, can't no, they? No, people have the no, camera, can't camera phones out these days, don't they? So that, I can that's, you know. that's another massive thing. But yeah. I also think when I played, it was a working man's game. Working men, supporters were working men. And, and they probably are now. But, I mean, obviously yeah. they are now. They're still working class people at goal. When I signed for Everton in 75, my wage was £100 a week. And the average wage in this country was £50 a week in 1975. So I was on twice the average wage. When I left Everton in 1980, I was still on £100 a week. But the average wage in this country was £120 a week. So I was on less than the average wage in this country. So now if you go to the disparity between working class now and they say, oh, I'd say it's £30,000 a year average wage and the average premiership player gets fifty grand a week, how, how can working class people possibly relate to that? It's insane. I mean, I don't, I don't blame, I don't blame the players. It's not to me. It's nothing to do with the players. If you were a, a butcher, and you were offered fifty grand a week, you're not going to say no, are you? But I find it hard to relate to it. And I also think subconsciously, if you're on a hundred thousand pound a week and you lose, and you still get your hundred thousand pound a week, subconsciously, does it matter? If you're on 15 grand a week and they mm. tell you we'll give you another 85 grand a week if you win, does that make it different? Well, I don't think Lee and I can answer the question. No, no, I can't either. I can't either. But as if you're a supporter of a club, I mean, I look at Everton now and the struggles are having, and, and all you get all over Facebook is I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name individual players for Everton. But all you'll get is the players getting slagged off and then it says mm. how much money they're on. That's the first thing that supporters go to. Oh, he's earning so much a week and he's rubbish and all that. Like, which is not 
it's not the player's fault they're on that money because anyone else would, wouldn't. If you are offered that money, you're not going no, to say no. no I think what's an interesting perspective on that, and it's maybe a slight sort of variation on it, is that with Wales, I mean, it is different with England. So Gareth Southgate calls a, a squad together, or when Don Revy did it back in the day, or Ron yeah. Greenwood. Yeah. Those players are pretty much all coming from the same tier, let's say. Yeah, they with were. Wales, and you've alluded to it already, yeah, there we was were. much more of a discrepancy, wasn't it? There was, you know, Yoris you, 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 at, at the top of the first division, you know, one of the best teams, not just in England, when, you know, in the continent. And then you're yeah. picking players then maybe from, you know, third division, maybe even one or two from the fourth division. Yeah. So the, the sense in which you had to mould a kind of like a team spirit, you know, out of those sort of raw materials, let's say. There's something in there as well, I think, in that, well, you've got some probably earning, you know, with decent salary, others not, but all kind of in it together and... That's what I was saying about Yorath as well. I think that's where Yorath and John Mahoney as well, even though I'm really surprised when he said how few caps they had, but they were senior right. players, even though they even got 13 or 15 caps. They were senior players to me because they all played in the first division. Yeah. And Josh, John Mahoney, and especially Yorath, you would never have known they were any different to me as players, you know what I mean? Mm. The, first, the first day I turned up for training, there was no looking down at me because I came from Wrexham or whatever. I was, I was really welcomed. And I, yeah. I felt at home as soon as I got there. And I think that was down yeah. to you. Did you ever partake in the uh, drinking sessions at the Sun in Trevor when you when you all met up in uh, staying in uh, the Brynhall and Clangothlin for Wales Games in Wrexham? Right. Heard about this from Flynn. Right. Can I please <laughs> <fit in that>? <laughs> <laughs> You can try. Not that that implies guilt. <laughs> no, absolutely. No. Yes, I do remember. I do remember those days. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it sounded like a great for for me. It just sounded fantastic, like the way the Flynn it described was. it. And there was like they would all come, the squad would come together, and that first evening, every time the whole squad would walk down the canal down to uh, the sun, have a couple of pints, yeah. Yeah. and get to know each other again because you hadn't seen each other for a few months, probably. Like great for team spirit, great for bonding. Mike Smith would be fine with that. Just you know, you have your have your one session. Yeah. And then we're, we're, we're training hard. Well, remember now, this is the 70s. And, and in the 70s, there was, this is where the not so professional outlook came in, that there was a drinking culture in the 70s of players. I never, ever had a drink two nights before a game, ever. But if we played on a Saturday, I'd be out Saturday night, staying Sunday, probably staying Monday, peppers Tuesday, a couple of pints Wednesday, and Thursday, Friday, no drinking, and then the same again Saturday. And we all did it in the 70s. Every, every player from every club did it, as far as I can see. Liverpool were famous for it, weren't they? Graeme Sooners, they used to call him Champagne Charlie, Graeme Sooners. <laughs> they were all out. But that, that was the culture then. Mm. That, that's what I meant about you could do it. And the main thing is, like you're saying now, there's no social media. There's no phones, no cameras on phones yeah. or anything. So, you know. You presumably ran the risk of bumping into the old local journalist or something, maybe. Oh, even then, no. I, 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 and even if we did, I doubt if they'd have said anything. Yeah, of course, yeah. I doubt if they'd have said anything. Because we didn't, we didn't do anything wrong. It was just, if you look at it nowadays, you'd say that was unprofessional. Yeah. Leon, I, don't, I, know, I know it was the case in the 80s, for sure. But correct me, um, with respect to the 70s and, and what you had, you know, the contact you had with, uh, with Brian Flynn. But, I mean, the race course has always seemed to be a popular ground with the Wales squad, probably more successful there than at Ninian Park, for example. So, I mean, obviously that was your club ground for, for a number of years. Was that the case with yourself and the times you were in the, the squad, uh, Dave? The race course was our, our yeah, home well, ground, to, as it were. Well, I only I only played the Northern Ireland game and the Austria game at the race course. That's the only two games I played there. I think it was later on. I think 
to be fair, most Wales games were played at Ninian Park in those days, if I if I think correctly. Then you come to the Mark Hughes era, that volley mm. scored against Spain. That yeah. was at the race course, wasn't it? I, I think in that time there were more um, international games played at the race course. But I think when I was, I might be wrong, but I think more games were played at Ninian Park. It was really that sort of time when the, the, the game started being taken more regularly to Wrexham because we had this uh, really good record there. Yeah, right. the, the Austria game, and then from that, it really led to more game, big games being taken there, like Czechoslovakia in 77, the, a couple of home international games against England, 1980 and 84, and then the Spain game you mentioned, of course. And, uh, and then yeah, they, that, they, they, they beat England 4-1 at the race course, didn't they? Yeah, 1980. Yeah, it was, uh, 1980. Yeah, yeah. Mike England. So Michael, Mike, did Michael score? Michael Thomas? Yeah, you got the first one. Yeah, yeah. T- tell us a bit. <laughs> tell us a bit about yeah. Mickey and Mickey and Joey then, because um, are they both a little bit younger than you? Yeah, like I'm. I'm 68 now. I think Joey. I think Joey's 66, and Michael must be. Michael must be the same. Yeah. So I I've known them since oh, 70, must be seventy three, seventy four. Both of those were on the ground staff, and they they've been like peas in a pod ever since yeah. ever since they met. Yeah. You know, Joey. I'll never forget Joey when he first turned up at the race course. He was a one of the original skinheads. He had Doc Martin boots, tattoos, skinhead haircut. <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> Denim jacket and and jeans halfway down his shins, and Doc Martin boots. That's how he turned up. It's quick. Yeah, tattoo on his arms. He was a he, he belonged to a gang called the Paddock Gang <laughs> in in Llandidno. Joey did when he was a kid. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going to go into that too much. Like, I don't want to get him into it a long time ago. But I know Michael had a, an altercation with the law, which didn't end up too well. Like, but. They were they were fantastic servants for Wrexham Football Club, absolutely brilliant. In Mickey's autobiography, um, which I would recommend actually, it's it's a really really good read. There's something really touching about he really does look up to Joey Jones, doesn't he? Oh, he idolises him. And I know I know a lot of people, well I know a lot of people worship and idolise Joey from the from the terraces, but it's yeah. just throughout the book almost. Well, not necessarily the childhood bit, but certainly through the pro career yeah. and after retiring. Yeah, Joe, whatever type of scrape Michael's gone into Joey's always been there for yeah. him it's like it's like a, a, a um, an elder brother yeah, yeah. And, and a younger brother yeah and Michael is aware of that and I think Michael realizes how much he, he owes his friendship to Joey and Joey's friendship to him like I mean I, I'm pretty sure they speak every day now like I whatsapp Joey every day we speak on whatsapp nearly every day um because he's he's been on well as well lately how is he in the moment Dave <sighs> he does he doesn't say much Joe he doesn't say much, but I know I know he's had health problems. But I, th- I think he's okay at the moment. I mean, someone we lost sadly this year uh, was was Di Davis. You played for him, played with him. Sorry, both for Everton and, and and Wales. We did a little tribute to to Di Davis earlier in the year, didn't we, uh, Leon? You met him as well, didn't you? When he's like the sort of like the health, like an alternative health or alternative therapy place he had in in Langotham, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. My mum had a friend who was working there, so yeah, I just met him so quite randomly back in the nineties. Yeah. He seemed like a really, really sound guy, Di Davis. Did, did you get on well with him? Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got on with Di. It was okay. I remember I went to a Wrexham do a couple of years ago and um, we were sat at the same table. With me, he was always like, oh, are you behaving yourself, boy? 
You know, he was always like, like, a, school, like a school teacher. He, he was a school teacher, I think, wasn't he? Oh, well, there you go then. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And he was, and he'd even say to my wife, is he behaving himself? You know, and I'm sat there going, I'm sat here, die. You know, if you want to ask ask me if I'm behaving myself and, and why are you worried about me? Anyway, we got we got chatting and he said he said, What what money were you on at Everton? And I was like, Oh, I was on a hundred pounds a week and he he went, What? I said, Yeah, I was he said I was only on sixty and I was like <laughs> Were you? I, you know, I didn't know what to say. I was like, Oh, I'm so I'm sorry I was on a hundred pounds a week and then you were on sixty, but maybe you should have been a striker instead of a goal. <laughs> I I didn't say that like <laughs> but he, he had a bit of stick, didn't he? Because the nickname yeah. came about "Die the Drop" and that. When uh, we we played for Wales at Windsor Park in Ireland, and I think that's when it first started. I think he dropped across, and Northern Ireland scored the winner. I think uh, we played Northern Ireland at Windsor Park on a Friday night, so we we flew back after the game, and the next day England beat Scotland five one or five nil at Wembley. Jerry Francis was captain, and he scored a couple of goals. But when when we come back. We went straight out in London. So remember Gary Sprague? But yeah, Gary Sprague yeah, took yeah. us to this club. And it must have been half past two in the morning. Knocked on the door. So the door opens with a little shutter in the door. All right, Sprakey, like, come in. And there's all these guys in there with guns on the table. <laughs> and it was a gambling den. <laughs> and I'm like, 20, come from Wrexham. Come on, we'll go here, he's saying. And there's all Rolls Royces outside. It was unbelievable. So we, we stayed there till about half past four in the morning. And our train back was at six in the morning. So we went from this club back to the hotel, packed our stuff and got the train back home. Having not been there all night. But when, when we got to, obviously, I think well, it must have been Houston Station. There was a, a thing about the match report on the thing and, the headline in the paper was die the drop and die had said because i bought a paper and he said what's in the paper and i was like oh nothing there's nothing and he said well what's something <laughs> and that's that's when, it, that's when it came about but to be fair to the lad he had a successful career didn't he, he did really well at wrexham and he went to swansea mm -hmm. he struggled a bit at everton i think got a bit stick at that time didn't he he did well I, my home debut at everton I scored an unbelievable volley in the first half and we turned it up. Jones with him, going outside him. And position now for the cross. Dobson nodding it off for Smallman. And David Smallman's first goal in the first division is a honey. Look at that left foot. Shepard United is second to bottom of the league and they beat us 3-2. After being tuned up at half time, he dropped a couple of crosses and they scored. You know, and it, and it was there was another lad called Dave Lawson who was a goalkeeper at Everton then, and it was always one or the other that played. You know, they never seemed to get a, a run of like fifteen games. They just swapped them all the time. And I don't think it was a, but he was all right. Die, he was a good lad. It's interesting you sort of said you you know kind of like WhatsApp groups with with, with Joey and, and the likes of that. I mean, there is that sense of camaraderie then with 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 certain with certain players long after. Careers of playing careers are finished. Presumably. Like I lived in Australia for six years. Obviously, and I wasn't in touch then because I was in Australia. Now. But when I came, I came back in '88, and uh, I've met him at several because Joey does after after dinner speaking and stuff. And I've kept in touch with him and Michael. My local pub up here, they've come up here and done a bit of speaking and that. So uh, mostly, I don't think there's any other. It, it's funny, really. 
and I'm assuming, or I'm thinking probably, because I, we all play for Wrexham. That's why we came in touch, and it's always still local. But it, it's funny, uh, most professional footballers would say that you're teammates, but you're not mates. Because your career changes and someone signs for someone. Like I I was mentioning Billy Ascroft before. We, we speak once once a week, we speak. Me and Billy are still very close. Obviously, when you play together, you're a team. But players come in and players leave. And you're not mates as in friends. You're teammates. And I think you'd, you'd look at every every footballer would go. It's hard for them to say they've got a lifelong friend who they play football with. Joey made his debut in that game that it turned out to be your final cap. You were at Everton by this point, the Austria game, and there's a sort of resonance in that fixture given that that's who we got in this uh, in this playoff next next March. Joey made his debut right. in that game, as did uh, Brian Lloyd and, and Ian right. Evans, incidentally. Actually quite a young, relatively inexperienced team in terms of caps, actually. But that was quite a, an iconic game because it clinched the first time, well, only time that Wales have, have topped a, a qualifying Group and Terry Orif has spoken about that previously as, as being almost, yeah, I think he's referred to it as a forgotten campaign in the sense that it's been perhaps underappreciated or the significance and the, the achievement has been underappreciated. What's your memories of uh, that game? Because it says, according to again, what I've got here in front of me, 27,000 at the race course under the lights, 19th of November 1975. I get the impression the race course would have been rocking that night. It was, uh, the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. It just happened to coincide with the worst game I've ever had in my life. Really? Yeah. Tashak was injured. So I played more or less up front on my own. I've seen it on on, uh, YouTube because I I haven't scored the winner. And I've seen it on YouTube. And obviously it's only like a 10-minute clip or something. I had one half chance. And I think that's the only time I touched the ball in the whole game. (laughs) Joey Jones. Smallman on a run. Man at his back, and he was being held. Referee penalising Kretzai. Mike Smith, the Welsh manager, has said all along that Wales would not just defend, would not just look for a draw. Fangin will just pass the post. David Smallman, I think it was, with the shot. Smallman hitting it as it dropped with his right foot. The corner swinging wide from Leighton James as it dropped, hit by Swallow. I don't know whether it's right or wrong. I mean, when we scored the winner, I haven't scored it. And I think it was, it was a through ball played on the right-hand side of the pitch. And I think one of their defenders went to cut it out or he was he was out of position and he missed it. And he ran through to Arvin. And he was slightly on the right-hand side of the goal. And I'm stood in the middle of the goal on my own. And I'm like, oh, he's got to square this. And he didn't. And everyone celebrates, and I didn't, because he didn't square it. <laughs> Flynn's cross, that looks good. Yaris little flick to Thomas. And here's Griffiths. Yes! Well, that was what they were looking for. Griffiths, 34 years of age, the racecourse ground hero, assistant manager of the local club, does it again. The ball allowed to be flicked back by Yorath to Thomas, and when Thomas stabbed it through, there was always a chance for Arthur Griffiths, and he planted it past 
Cecilia with all the aplomb that you expect of a man with his experience. 1-0 to Wales, and they really are on their way now. Having seen it since, he was entitled to score it himself. I've seen stuff on YouTube of me playing for Everton, and when like I played up front with Bob Lashford and that, and there's stuff on when, when he scores or somebody else scores, and everyone's really happy, and then I'm on it, and I'm like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> I know, it's horrible. It's terrible. Striker's selfishness, it's, is that, is that yeah, what it is? Yeah. It's just, I, right, but... If there was someone in a better position to me, I would I would always pass to them to score. Yeah, I made quite a few goals as well. But if we if we won five nil and I didn't score, I'd, I'd be so upset. Uh, strikers, I would. I'd just be so upset. Talking talking of strikers, I was, I, I'm just interested in like Toshak really because um, you came in for it for that game. But I mean, I've heard one or two stories from other strikers of the era, like who would come in when Toshak was injured, as he quite frequently was. Unfortunately, he had the, he had his problems there. You'd go up to them and sort of give them a little sort of pep talk and, and they're expecting some words of encouragement and he would just go, don't forget you, you're just keeping that shit warm for me for when I'm back next time. Oh, right. Did you ever get that to, from Toshak or did you no. get along all right with him? How do I answer that? <laughs> complete the fifth uh, again. Right, okay. What about the fourth? Was <laughs> the fourth complete? I think the thing with him was he knew that he played for Liverpool and you didn't. If that's not too harsh. But you were at Everton at that time who... Who were one of the top teams in well, the country? Well, that makes it even worse. Then I was at <laughs> yeah, Everton and he was at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I think Tosh was a really underrated player. Everyone knows what he was like in the air, but I think he was underrated as a player on the ground as well. And he had a fantastic partnership, didn't he, at Liverpool with Keegan? I think there's a few players had issues with him when he was a manager as well, didn't he, at Wales? Yeah, he, he strikes me as being a bit pricky on occasions, and uh, that utter belief in what he's doing and his approach and what he thinks of the game, and I guess. Well, I guess successful people, successful managers in particular, tend to have that, don't they? I guess. Well, it's, everyone's different, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I yeah. said before, just just because your teammates doesn't mean that you're mates. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you take uh, Dave looking at kind of like the recent successes of um, of the national team, obviously 2016. But you know, Rob Page, you know, our consensus when we talk about it, uh, Leon and I, and, the, and a couple of the other guys, is that you know Rob's doing a, a really good job. He's done well to finish second in this group behind a really good Belgian team. We're knocking on the door of a World Cup now at the end of next year. What's, what's your sort of take on it? Well, well, he's done really well. I mean, there was no way we were going to finish first in that group, was it, with, with Belgium. So to, to do what he's achieved is, is, uh, is really admirable. I know we can call on mostly Premier League players now. As you alluded to before, in my day, we couldn't call on a, a predominant number of Premier League or first division players. But you've got your two that everyone says are the superstars in in Bale and Ramsey. But you've also got like unsung heroes, Ben Davis and Joe Allen. And Joe Allen's been a Premier League player in the past. They seem to have a sound uh, method of how they want to play. I think we struggle a, a little bit in midfield, creative-wise. But obviously they're playing to a system that he wants them to play to and they're being very successful. And And... We couldn't have had a better draw than Austria, then followed by Scotland, both at home, could we? Or Ukraine, if uh, Ukraine overcomes Scotland. But yeah, it's, that's fallen kindly for us. Both games that's at home. That's a massive difference. Yeah. If they were both away, yeah. you'd think that's going to be really difficult. If it was Scotland or Ukraine away, or Austria away, it's going to be really difficult. But now now they've got yeah, home advantage. Home, home they, they couldn't have wished for anything better. 
And it's going to be up to us to recreate an atmosphere, a bit like what uh, what you were referring to, Dave, about uh, the race course against Austria that night. You can't ask for more, really, the, the way it's fallen, I, I don't suppose. I just want to ask a little bit about playing in Australia for six years. I mean, was that... You'd left Everton in 1980, and then what happened the, the, the first few years of the 80s? Were you were you playing at all? When I left Everton, I was there five years, and I was injured for four years and three months at Everton. So that didn't go particularly well. I, I won the PFA Injured Player of the Year four years in a row. <laughs> what I would have done if they'd have had such an award. So then I went, I went back to Wrexham when Ivan was manager. They offered me a six-month-long contract. So I went back, and I started training pre-pre-season with Arvin, just me and him. And uh, I did my knee ligaments on the third day of training. <laughs> anyway, I got I, I finally got back to playing. And I played 14 games in midfield and scored seven, I think. And the following Friday, this is how my memory goes, so it might be embellished a little bit, but I think it's right. The following Friday, I was due to sign a two-year contract with them. So on this Saturday morning before the following Friday, we played at Port Vale in the reserves. The goalkeeper had the ball and I stood in front of him. And you know the, when the goalkeeper goes to kick the ball and you turn you turn around and it hits you. So it hit me on the back and it, it went straight over his head and hit the bar. And I was like, oh, because it nearly went in. Anyway, the ball actually broke two ribs, which is the only player in history to have had two ribs broken by a football. So they cancelled my two-year contract, which I was due to sign the following Saturday. Okay. When I was a kid at Wrexham, when I was 17, you know the training ground at Stansted was where we used to train? And you know when they put the corner flags in the ground, they put them in a wooden cylinder, which is in the ground. So I was like 17, I think, and I was tackled by the corner flag, and the corner flag wasn't actually in there. But the cylinder was, and the cylinder had been damaged had a jagged edge which ripped my knee open to the bone. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's never <laughs> ever happened to any footballer that they've been damaged by the cylinder that holds holds the the corn flag. You must be probably the most unlucky player with injuries. So I should have known then or have I better because I, I I had a plan B if I wasn't a footballer. I always wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a sports journalist so maybe maybe I should have stuck to that. But Australia came about I had, I had an uncle so I left Wrexham and I went to Bangor. I played four games at Bangor with a guy called Dave Elliott. But there was a bit of an issue with Welsh-speaking lads and English-speaking lads because Graham Whittle came with me and I called uh, Peter Williams, who was at Wrexham. Um, we speak English because obviously we, I can't speak Welsh, even though I am Welsh. So the Welsh lads got upset that we were speaking English and we were like, well, we, we, we can't speak Welsh, so what else are we supposed to speak? So that, that didn't end well. We just more or less left. And then I had an uncle who lived in Australia and he phoned me up and said there were a couple of Australian teams who wanted me to, to go over there. So he phoned me up in December and said to, I said to my wife, what do you reckon? And she said, yeah, we'll go. So I was there in the match, played my first game and did my ankle ligaments. I was out for five weeks. I also had four broken ribs in other games, a fractured eye socket. Oh, but my two kids were born there. In Australia, for all the mishaps, I wouldn't change any of those because my two kids were born in Australia. So right. it's all turned out for the good. A uh, nice place to, to, to spend a few years playing playing football as well. Like uh, My brother lives out in Melbourne. so Well, I was yeah. in Melbourne, just outside of Melbourne I was. But you scored a few goals there. Yeah, I scored a few, yeah. yeah. Okay. I scored a few in a cup final. We beat a team above us 
in a, in a, in a higher league. We beat them 5 0 in a cup final. I scored two. I was playing in midfield then. Like, they made me play a manager halfway through the season. So I think we played 30, 36 games. So we had 18 games to go, won 17, drew one, and won the league by a point. Won two cups, and they sacked me next season. Oh, oh, <laughs> they brought in an, an Australian international footballer called Jimmy Rooney. Well, it might have been Mickey Rooney, I'm not sure. But <laughs> Jim, Jimmy Rooney, who played like 487 games for Australia. Against Tahiti. Yeah, he didn't um, either like me or rate me or whatever, so we, we fell out. And I, I mean, to be fair, I'd fallen out when they said they were bringing him in. Because in those days, Australian football was like Sunday League football here. I mean, Australia now have got obviously good, good, good football team and they're professional and all that. Well, they weren't, when I played, they weren't professional at all. So they bought this guy in and I, I just, I went and played for my local team. And then, and then we came home in 1988 and that's where we've been ever since. Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure. But very kind of you to, to lend us your, your time and some of your, your memories. I know uh, Leon's probably got tons more to talk to you about, about Wrexham. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dave. Yeah, I just wanted to say, uh, do you ever get to the race course these days? Or I'm you... going tomorrow as Brilliant. a guest, as a, as a speaker. And yeah, I've been a couple of times in the past. But it's a, I think it's a 20 past five kickoff tomorrow or half past five or something. So they phone me up occasionally and say, will you come and do some, you know, have a meal before the game and have a chit-chat for half an hour or something, question and answer things. So I'm, I'm doing that tomorrow. I'm just hoping that they can finally get out of this rubbish league. Well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, it's just uh, at least the takeover is sort of woken people up a bit. But I think we need to get out of this league, don't we? And then and then it'll, things should be a bit easier from there but it's only the one promotion one one place for promotion that makes it hard to I know, get out I, know. I, can't, I can't really see us getting to to get above Chesterfield yeah but, I think it's playoffs yeah best. the problem is if you look at that league at least 16 of them are ex-football league teams so everyone mm. finds it difficult to get back up once they've come down you know and this is I think this is the 13th season that Wrexham have been in this league and I find it incomprehensible I mean I look at some of the team names Eastley that they're playing against and I'm like I've never even heard of those teams but but obviously yeah. the issue is oh hold on you're an old man and you're going back to the 70s which doesn't count anymore but the thing is for a lot of Wrexham supporters it does count because the reputation that the team once had or the club had at one time and now it hasn't got that reputation has it they're just another National League team except with the two guys coming in and taking over them and, and hopefully yeah. hopefully getting to push us forward. Yeah, crowd, the big cr- crowds of 8,000 as well. You know, That's so, incredible. Yeah, that is you know, absolutely amazing. astonishing. We're, we're too big for this league, but we've got to, the players have got to do the business on the field and, and prove that we're too too good for this league, haven't they? Yeah, it's funny. If I'm going there tomorrow and, and you know, obviously I want them to win and that, and I, but I go back to, I know it was the 70s, but you can go to the 80s and 90s like the uh, Carl Connolly and, and uh, Bennett, players like that, who came after me. And obviously now they're spending money and they've got this lad Mullin who's scoring quite a few goals. But if you if you speak to Wrexham now, about the past, they all remember the names Joey Jones, Michael Thomas, Graham Whittle, Billy Ashcroft, possibly myself. And 40 years from now, they're not going to know all these players' names, are they? They're not going to know him. They might know Mullin if he's successful. Although yeah. they're on about him leaving January. Players don't stay as long uh, these days. That's the other thing. They, they and now if you if you look, they look at Wrexham's been taken over. Oh, I fancy going there as a last payday. Yeah, is it? 
the wages they're paying them now it's absolutely astonishing like there might be one or two that come through through the year system and then when you think back there's me billy joey michael thomas michael alan hill alan's wire who all played in the, in the good teams in the 70s i went there when i was just gone 16 so we we related to Wrexham football club didn't we yeah that was our that was our club and now you know you've got to think hold on a second why is paul mullin who's a top goal scorer for cambridge come to sign for Wrexham when he was offered yeah. to sign for blackburn rovers why has he come to Wrexham? well he's being he's being well paid isn't he but i just hope it gets back to a point where like you're describing in the 70s all those players all those like local players coming through at Wrexham because we, we've had this problem in the last decade or 15 years or so being in the conference like that we our best youth players get picked up like Harry Wilson you know he's at Fulham now doing great but like he was he was at Wrexham right. as a kid Danny Ward you know right. Wales keeper got picked up by right. Liverpool before he played in the first team I just hope we get to a, a point like in the 70s under John Neal where local lads from in from North Wales come through at Wrexham. Well, to be no. fair, to be fair, myself, Joey, Michael and Billy Ashcroft all moved on, didn't we? But we'd all, yeah. we'd all played at least one oh, yeah, game exactly, before we exactly. left. Yeah, you, you don't begrudge, you, you, you know, get you getting a move to Everton or, or Joey to Liverpool or Mickey to uh, Manchester United. You don't, you, at all. But it's just like, now... The, the lads are moving on to the likes of Everton, uh, likes of uh, Liverpool. In the case of um, Harry Wilson, Danny Ward, before they've even played a single first-team game, you know that's you know mm. that's what I'd like to see as a fan, anyway. You know, I'm sure most people would agree with you, mate. If I was cruel, I would say that um, you mentioned uh, uh, a certain Mr. Thomas, and then there's a, a police siren in the background. But I won't, <laughs> I won't, because that would be cruel. Um, Probably him driving it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm conscious of the of the time, Dave. Once again, absolute pleasure. I probably could walk away and leave the two of you talking Wrexham for the next two yeah. hours. Um, but um, all the best for the future and uh, enjoy tomorrow. Okay. Hopefully, you'll be a, a lucky a lucky charm, maybe. And I hope that goes well and it's a positive result, positive result for both of you. Uh, yeah, and hopefully, it is back in the back in the league. I thought. I know there's a lot, you know, for all the rivalries in football and all the rest of that, then there's Welsh football fans across the country would love to see Wrexham back in the, in the football league for sure. But um, awfully, awfully competitive league, isn't it? Thanks, Dave. Thanks for your time. It's been brilliant. That's no problem at all, mate. Any time. <laughs> <laughs>